Good evening, dandies. Welcome to Undetermined, the podcast. Welcome back, Chris, or welcome. You guys hear me all right? Chris, yeah, I think so far. Yeah, I think we're good. I think we're good to go. It just, it, it took some of that country internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people are hogging bandwidth, man. It's it's a big problem. Oh, everybody's everyone's stuck at home. Right. It's not you or me that's the problem. It's the asshole down the street who's watching Powerpuff Girls over and over. Right. <laughs> Or Tiger King. Or Tiger that's King. the thing that's going around. Yeah, and then telling all his friends to watch Tiger King. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've watched a couple of episodes. I've watched the fuck out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I watched the whole and thing. Then, <laughs> what's sad is I'm pretty sure I'm related to most of the people on that. I don't know how. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure our family tree meets up somewhere. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, I guarantee you there's fucking people in my family who would, if they could afford it, they would collect a tiger and a fucking heartbeat. If they would have ever thought of it, they would have been like, for 2,000 bucks, I could have not bought this AK and I could have bought me a tiger. Right. The fuck was I thinking? Well, they said that I couldn't help but think that's a pretty good deal for a tiger. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I told the same thing to my wife. I was like, I was like, Jesus, if rednecks ever get the notion, it was like $2,000 is a lot of money, but for a fucking tiger, it's not a lot of money. People are paying that much for dogs right now. Right. Oh, yeah. Why not get the upgrade, man? Yeah. Yeah, if you'd have asked me, like, what it was going to cost for a tiger, like, I'm thinking, like, 10 grand minimum. Oh, yeah. 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 For a used one. A used tiger. <laughs> pre-owned tiger. Right. Yeah, pre-owned. Pre-owned. Maybe, maybe a bit of a warranty. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, a month or two. You know, like, 30 day. 90 day tiger warranty. Yeah, 30 day warranty. 10 grand. Easy. <laughs> easy. Well, fucking Mike Tyson owns them, right? So it's like, you think that's got to be like more, more than I can afford? Nope. Joe Exotic like shipping them out for like, you know, 2,500 bucks with two grand. Maybe, maybe a couple hundred for shipping. I don't know. Weight's got to be high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, feeding them, that doesn't sound cheap. No. Well, that's the afterthought. You get the tiger first, and then you figure all that shit out later. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. This room in the trailer is going to have to do for now. Yeah. What neighbors do I not like that have a lot of whiny pets? <laughs> mm-hmm. I was just going to say, like, just like much people do with children, you know, we'll have it first. Right. <laughs> well, well, we got that pop up trailer. I reckon that'll work for a while. They screw first, and then it's like, oh, no. Well, how are we going to feed it? Walmart truck. Walmart truck and meat. <laughs> Life is strange in these times. Very, very. What a weird few fucking weeks it's been. It really is. Yeah, I I don't have anything to compare it to. Mm. By the way, we're speaking with Chris. <laughs> you want to introduce yourself? Uh, I am Chris of Arson Class. Yeah. So we tried to have you on a few weeks ago, and the uh, gremlins and internet gods just didn't like some stuff, and we ended up with like half an episode, so we wanted to make up for it. So we'll see. This might be an interesting patchwork. It did not mind the uh, the uh, flashlight rabble, so... <laughs> <laughs> we might have to bring that back That's up. That's what it takes to get a whole podcast done. 
Right. <laughs> right. And just, brought to you by. And just in case people are, you know, wondering, we, we are more familiar. We did have a, a good episode going and everything, but Gremlins just killed the fuck out of us. Yeah. But yeah, it's great to have you back on, man. So, so I definitely do want to talk about your band and not just bro talk. And we might stitch some pieces in. There was some good stuff there, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah. We could Frankenstein it. You're setting yourself up with a lot of editing there. <laughs> see, we got to include the fleshlight. We got to include the fleshlight. That'll be like a bonus. <laughs> That'll be a bonus. <laughs> Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> Inside the episode. <laughs> We're on our one year anniversary. There could be a giveaway. <laughs> so I saw arson class for the first time. Oh, right. What about a month and a half ago? Was that it? Something like that. You guys were playing at Davies. Yeah, that was our last show at Davies. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that was. There aren't any more shows nah. at Davies, at least at this point. That one, that one hurt. Yeah, man, that hit like everybody right in the heart. So those that don't know, it, Davies is kind of a Casey legendary club for up and coming bands to play. Uh -huh. The uh, you know all the COVID nineteen stuff had just come out like hardcore just before, and then when that happened, that was all I was thinking about. Was like, oh my god. Oh yeah, right. So it burned down. Well, it, it got kind of or burned out. Uh, the building didn't burn down. Yeah, it just right. kind of got. Yeah, the bar side I think was pretty much gone. Yeah. Then I think they're trying to see what they can salvage from the stage side. Yeah, it was like a refrigerator problem, wasn't it? Like a wiring and like the beer fridge or something. Yeah, I heard it. Yeah. I heard it was like a there's an electrical issue with the beer fridge or something. Uh, I mean, that's what I read. Damn. Mm -hmm. That's what you read, Mr. Arson Class, <laughs> who was one of the last bands <laughs> to play there. Mm. Hey, David, I'm not yeah. hey, I won't say that that thought crossed my mind after that shit happened. I was like, oh, <laughs> Yeah. I saw that one of your stickers survived, oh. by the way. Yes. You know, I saw that too. I was like, Ooh. Mm. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> well, of course, you put it on afterward. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was like one of the newer ones. So it was like, yeah. I mean, that hit when I saw that happen, that hit me in the feels. But I was thinking, you know, how people have been playing around here decades longer than I have. Oh, yeah. How much of a home it is to, you know, a lot of these folks. Yeah. And we joke about it, but man, I love Davies. Yeah. And that, it, it hit me too. Yeah, that really stinks. I, I see a lot of people that that hit. And boy, you can't even get all together right now, really, afterward, you know. So it's kind of a double whammy. Yeah. Because you can't really even mourn the loss with other people that love that place yeah oh yeah people have gone all out and around you know and, and came from kc and moved on to different places or just it's devastating but you know if anything i think there's some hope there because like i say it wasn't completely gutted like maybe partially gutted i think they can rebuild yeah yeah i think that's the plan is what i heard you know it's I mean, gonna be a while but pretty much already taking that first step i guess or you know deciding that they're gonna do it again in the same spot i believe oh god i hope so yeah that'd be nice but you know that is kind of a becoming a more of a hot real estate location too i hope that doesn't hurt them yeah but yeah well you got any uh favorite memories of, of playing there or anything at davies any tributes you want to give about shows there shit and i can't remember my first show there but I know it was, it was, this is something about Davies when you walk into that place. Is I'm getting fucking drunk. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So anytime I'd walk in and, uh, Shell's usually at the end of the bar or an old friend of mine, uh, is behind the bar. It was, you know, kind of a matter of 
what kind of shit I had going on, you know, walking to Dave's is just like, uh, it's like a night off from, you know, real life. Right. I mean, I played there with my old band, St. Dallas and the Sinners. I played there with the Bottle Breakers and with Arsenal Class. Yeah, our actual, our Arsenal Class's first show was at Davies. Like, we were actually scheduled to do our first show in Tulsa, and then a friend of ours, I guess, was looking for a last-minute band to throw in a bill and hollered at us, so we wound up having Arsenal Class's first show was at Davies. Wow, that must have hit hard. And it's tough. I mean, there's a bunch of shit going around. I just, you know, like I say, I, I live in Columbia. I come up to Kansas City quite a bit, but still, it's like I'm seeing fundraisers for places like Eastside Tavern and places here just to, you know, Jesus, yeah. help their servers out, uh, you know, help help people. Yeah. Help people survive this because, you know, so many things are a cash industry. They depend on money coming in. Hell, I know a guy who's an airline pilot. He's on furlough temporarily, and it's a major corporation that he flies for. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't know where his next check's coming from, you know, because without money coming in, people don't have money going out. I mean, I was in, I worked in the service industry for 15 years Mm -hmm. and I got out of that like maybe about four years ago, just kind of wore me down as it is time to move on from that field. And that's kind of the thing is being a cook, Mm -hmm. especially like an area like this where, you know, if you need a second job, you can get one at the snap of your fingers. Yeah. Or if you just needed a new full-time job, you can get one real quick. And I don't know if I take job security. But there's always people looking for, you know, service industry types. But it's a situation like this. Sure. Kinda, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really sucks. And I feel lucky right now that I, I'm not affected by it, really. I mean, the most that we have is my wife's having to take a pay cut right now, like a 10% pay cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that kind of sucks. But that's pretty minor compared to what a lot of people are going through. Yeah, a lot of people are getting nothing. Yep. yep. Like uh, my job, I get to do that. And, you know, I was wondering what they were going to do and they were going to shut down completely, but they haven't shut down. So for a while it was like, well, this is kind of screwed up. I'm, you know, kind of worried about my health, you know, and everybody else too. But uh, at the same time, it's like at least I'm still able to, you know, make my money. Right. Have something coming in. Yep. It makes me kind of feel like a bitch in a lot of ways whenever I complain about what's going on. It's like, I think there are some things even for, for like these non-essential employees like myself, who are staying at home and doing work that I complain. It's like, God damn it. They're, they're making us do like triple the stuff we would normally do paperwork wise and it's redundant and it's like I, I think there is a little bit of a spirit going around where people are like we don't like you not coming in and we we just need to make you work harder <laughs> right it's like do four times the shit that you used to do and then that way we can justify giving you a paycheck to work from home yeah it's like okay but just like you're saying i can't complain because i am getting a paycheck still you know this is such a terrible situation that i'm grateful for everything i do so i'm just hammering away and maybe working four times as hard as i would normally on paperwork but not having to do the one-on-one shit but still it's like man so many people are just being laid off and i i do feel sorry for a lot of the business owners out there right now who are just having to explain to their employees Mm -hmm. that it's like look if we don't have money coming in oh yeah we can't pay you it's fucking it's got to be impossible yeah not only might you be out of a job Mm -hmm. they might be out of a business Mm-hmm. Yeah, something they may have worked for 30 years of their life. They, they may have put something into, I mean, just imagine if, if you're our age, you know, mid-40s, whatever, and you're looking at the last 30 years of your life. It's like you put something into something. Right. And it, your whole fucking life, you dedicate, dedicated to it, and it could just be gone. 
just instantaneously it just disappears because we depend on the system that we have out there and we don't know any other way that's it's it's fucked up it's it's certainly serious i you know i'm i'm thankful for everything I, i'm like but then again like i said i just feel like such a cunt when i'm just like oh well you have to work a little harder <laughs> like fuck yeah we're probably having to move our kid in with us in this coming week just because he's laid off and can't work. And, you know, I'm being told by people, don't let them in your house. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a good rule of thumb anyway. No, fuck no, your fuck kid. I'm looking to starve on the street. Don't, don't let them in. They're, they've got it. <laughs> yeah. They got to learn. Leave him out there to put hair on his balls. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, they'll be fine. <laughs> Prostitution never hurt me any. <laughs> right. <laughs> when I was his age. I don't know how many times I sold my ass on the corner. <laughs> It's, it's brutal. Yeah, I mean, I had, I had to even defend that to a friend. They were like, don't let anybody in your home. Not your son, not your daughter. And I was like, my daughter? Really? I just let her play outside a little bit ago. So it's cool to just like let her sleep in the fucking yard because yep. you know, she's 11. I mean, are you sure? Yeah. 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 And then uh, you've got, you know, the artist types that oh, fuck. can't do what they do. Not saying like we draw a huge crowd or anything like that, but I don't want to do anything even as simple as band practice. Or, you know, passing something on to somebody else. Yeah. And then somebody else's kid. Kind of, uh, I guess, like limbo. Everything's in limbo. <laughs> Yep. And you know, on that note, I don't want to necessarily take arson class down a road of how arson class deals with the apocalypse. The apocalypse. <laughs> but let's talk kind of fucking switch gears because I know it's it's been one thing that like people are. Yeah, let's talk about some rock and roll. Yeah, let's talk about some fucking rock and roll. Let's talk about what you're doing. So a little bit of background. Okay. Where did you grow up, man? Where are you from? Let's let's just go there. I grew up uh, with obviously my younger brother Phil, who is our drummer. Mm-hmm. We grew up in a little town called New Bloomfield, a few minutes on the other side of the river from Jefferson City. Mm-hmm. Basically between uh, Jeff City and Fulton, like somewhere in the middle there. Yep, yep, right around mid Missouri here. By the time we were in high school and meeting people, getting into music and stuff like that, I was a big Hendrix fan, so I had to learn how to play fucking guitar. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Did I? <laughs> <laughs> Did I? <laughs> and uh, being at home with family and stuff like that, me and my brother are always pretty close. Mm-hmm. He started picking up drums and kind of jam around in the house, you know, to like some Beast Boys beats, you know, just some basic stuff like that. It was easy to pick up and kept on chugging along and started playing in bands and I was playing in bands and then uh, eventually we started our own band where it's me, him, and uh, another guitar player. But this was, I was actually a bass player this is funny. So I started playing guitar when I was 14 and friends of mine had a band and they wanted to get a second guitar player. So they said, Hey, don't play guitar for us. And I was like, all right. So I go to my first practice with these guys. And that same night, their bass player quits and they just turn around and look at me and like, can you play bass? <laughs> so from that point, I wound up being pretty much a bass player for like 10 years, <laughs> strictly. And then, uh, you know, I'd play guitar for like metal bands and stuff like that also, but kind of got real big into bass. Yeah. Did that for a while, stomped around uh, Columbia, played at uh, the old Down Under Bar. You guys remember that place? I don't know what it's called now. I think it's like a craft shop or something last time I was there. <laughs> Probably. So uh, it's where Gumby's Pizza was, like underneath. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was like there's Gumby's and then there's kind of like like a walkway that kind of goes downstairs. 
that goes downstairs. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's like a book or a craft shop now. Yeah. Huh. That's a cool spot for a club. Yeah. You guys know Jesse Garcia? He owns uh, Roxy's and Social Club. Uh, a little. I've met him. Yeah, I met him a couple of times. but Yeah, he. I guess taking that spot over, I guess, some years afterwards. Yeah, there's a lot of spots in Columbia now that have turned into just like boutique shops. Yeah. They used to be really cool venues. But I could see that one definitely being as a fucking really cool place to have a club. Oh man, it was it was a dirty dive bar, some pool tables and on the side. Mm-hmm. They'd have floods because it was down there. <laughs> and uh <laughs> stop around the water getting electrocuted. Oh, right above it was a really good Chinese place too. Uh Jingo's or something like that. Slow. They were really good, but they're slow as fuck. Uh-huh. I think the only thing that's available like on that end of town now, as far as like a rock venue is probably East side. Yeah. I remember Roxy's was doing shows for a while. Mm-hmm. Like we played there quite a few times. I remember trying to book stuff there and it, things kind of started getting scarce. And I remember talking to Jesse and it basically it kind of came down to, he had always wanted to have live bands at his venue, but he was making, I think like more profit off, you know, having dance nights for the college kids, you know, what you're paying to DJ, I guess. Right. Instead of trying to, you know, have a cover to take care of three or four bands. Right. I think it just kind of got to a point where, as far as running a business, probably smarter to go that way, capitalize. Sure. I mean, it sucks. You're wanting to have like a live music type of venue. Yeah. That's how that went. (laughs) You got to keep the doors open, even if you're doing that shit like four nights a week or three nights a week, and then you got a couple good shows in the weekend. You know, whatever you got to do. Yeah. And the one thing I've always said about Columbia that I try to have people have a grasp on is the scene changes so often because so many people roll through here. Mm-hmm. You go to school here for a little while or you live in the area and then you move on. Or I went to school there for four years and then I fucked off to L.A. or whatever. And it's like, okay. When I started kicking around in Columbia, if I remember right, it was got a lot of underground punk and uh, yeah. kind of indie style in like a very grunge way because of the time that it was. But uh, mm-hmm. And then once we really started getting more shows and stuff it kind of changed into more of like a metal scene mm-hmm. that was the last time i'd actually been around there for a while that we both left for the military so around what years were that uh that would have been from 97 98 to 2000 a few years right in there i didn't really move here till like oh three somewhere around there but yeah it keeps going it keeps going in a cycle like that it's weird you know after being gone for years in the military and then like coming home and wanting to go check out some old spots and just kind of seeing how things look the same but it's Oh, yeah. I mean, even living here since like, like I say, 0203 or something like that. Fuck, I'll go downtown even after a few months and it'll look totally different. <laughs> like every shop is different. Holy shit. Where'd this parking garage come from? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So you guys, uh, you played here for a while, then you moved on to Kansas City, right? Yeah. Is that like the home base, would you say? Yeah, it is. When I got out of the Navy in 04, I lived in Springfield for a while and kicked around down there. And then mm-hmm. the band I was with kind of felt like we'd run its course. was kind of getting tired of the that area and the scene and stuff. I mean, get out of town you know maybe it's better for us if we uh relocated somewhere bigger like kansas city where we had friends and been up here a few times before uh-huh. i got hired to play guitar on a u.s tour so when i left basically the plan was we're going to move to kansas city when i get back but everybody already moved up there so i left springfield to do this tour for a summer mm-hmm. and when the tour got over i pretty much just flew straight to kansas city to my new home mm-hmm. that just 
out of the Air Force and is pretty much, well, you're my drummer, so I need you to come back. <laughs> I pretty much had him dust his drums off to do a show real quick at Riot Room. He hadn't played in front of a crowd in, well, 15 years. Kind of throw him into the fire. <laughs> <laughs> right after that, we started doing arts in class with me, Phil, and Mike Farron. I guess uh, Mike, uh, he's planning on moving to Texas. Wow. This is the last year, so he's going to do that. So we started getting on the hunt for a new guy. We had uh, Mark Bollinger, the bass player for Electric Lung, filled in on some shows for us. <laughs> that was fun. And then uh, we got Mike Shamley, who's our bass player now. He used to play for American Discord. Oh, okay. Well, you guys can all play, too. That's Thanks. I was impressed with that. You, you definitely got your chops. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Try to keep them. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the touring band you were in, or do you have like a non-disclosure agreement or something? Oh, uh, no. Uh, when we were, I was playing in Springfield at St. Dallas and the Centers, and my buddy of mine runs a bar down there called Lindbergh Tavern. Uh-huh. He called us and asked us if we wanted to do a Tuesday night show with a band called Continental. Oh, okay. Continental is Rick Barton and his son plays bass. Rick is the uh, original guitar player and founder of the Dropkick Murphy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see. So it was, it was like just a paying gig, like a solid gig. Yeah. So we did a show with them and I guess he took my number. He said he liked how I played and stuff and I didn't think anything of it. And it was like maybe a couple months after that, called me and asked me if we want to go on tour with them for a summer because they needed a guitar player for that tour. Mm. So, uh, of course, I said yes. So they blew me out to Boston for a few days of our rehearsals. Wow. We got in the van and hit the road for close to 40 shows, maybe close to 50 shows. Uh, it was a lot. It was a long trip. Right on. <laughs> it was a long trip. We basically started in Boston. I think the first show was in Jersey. We went all the way down to Savannah, Georgia. Basically shot all the way across the shows from there to Houston. Wow. Stayed at the Street Dogs Complex, Johnny Rio's place down there and then okay all the way to the southwest coast of san diego mm. all the way back up the Seattle, and <laughs> Damn. Well, that's kind of an iconic band man you know what that's was one of the funny things is after a while it was like i'd be sitting there pretty much once we started kicking off their tour and uh-huh. i remember sitting there just kind of like oh, this crazy motherfucker rick just <laughs> driving just talking uh-huh. about this <laughs> the guy's he's one of a kind like just got to meet him and like spend time with him but uh yeah. just sitting there because like growing up you were a die is like i mean even still to this day just the sound quality the way it sounds oh yeah you know do or die is like one of my favorite punk rock albums yeah like i don't look at it as like that you know how the niche is now it's like the celtic irish style right every every st patrick's day i put that on yeah mm-hmm. and uh so sitting there i mean be on the phone with one of the guys from Boston or Albar. <laughs> well, I guess it's no big deal. <laughs> I mean, to them, it's not right. friends and family and stuff. But it's just, <laughs> you know, kid from Bumhole, Missouri. <laughs> right. One of them. How did I get here? Yeah. Yeah. Did you find my what end leg? It'd <laughs> 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 be so hard to avoid those jokes. No, but it was pretty cool. He, uh, they did a, a Murphy song called The Porch yeah. that Rick wrote. I think they put it out on you know, Remember if Rick was even on the record, but it was one of his songs, and uh, but I guess they were still playing it live in their set, so kind of cool to play the sports with Rick. Yeah, that's nice. Well, I know if anything, the Matt is is exposed to Dropkick Murphy's ad nauseum 
at my house when <laughs> well back before there was social distancing and he came over to my house for St. Patrick's Day. Yep. This is the first one I think we haven't done it together for a long time. Yeah, my I had my mom living with me and stuff and she's like, This is probably the least festive like St. Patty's Day we've had in a long time. And I said, Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a little bit before the shutdown. That was that yeah. was right when everything was starting out. Yeah, it was like right that shit happened and everything came down. Yeah, it'll always be St. Blackrick's Day or whatever we want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, that's that's really fucking cool. Gotta love Dropkick. Yeah, I don't know how we missed that before. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, if you guys have not heard Rick, uh, one of his early bands in the 80s was called The Outlet. Okay. If you guys have not heard that, check it out. I'm not familiar, but I will. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Oh, dude, they rock. Actually, Dropkick Murphys did a cover of one of their songs. I don't know what they put it if they put it out on something, but it's called uh, "They Knock Me Down." But that was that's an old outlet song. But if you guys check it out, it's kind of imagine uh, kind of like a early replacement like that because kind of edge. Ah, I fucking love the replacements. It's really, really good. Yeah, I was just posting some replacements earlier, mm-hmm. dude. It's it's amazing to me how many people. How many bands that I talked to from the Midwest, from like Kansas City, um, Missouri, and Illinois, everything just are fucking huge replace. I'm a big replacements fan. Just how much we kind of latch onto them. I mean, they're they're a Minnesota, I, I guess, uh, band. I guess. Yep, I got to drive by the house that I guess Paul Westerwood. I guess I don't know, very road abundant. <laughs> You're right, but it's it's sort of strange to me. It's like I, I've always been a, a replacements fan. I saw them once a long time ago with Love and Rockets. But how many people? If I post like a replacement song, how many how many bands we've talked to and interviewed and stuff stand with me in solidarity and like fuck yeah, place bats. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're kind of like a. Yeah, the low-key fucking... They're almost like the Grateful Dead of the Midwest. They're good. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. You know, like if you, lived in, like if you lived in San Francisco and you posted a Grateful Dead song, you know, everybody would be like, oh yeah, okay, the dead, right on. But I mean, you live anywhere like east of the Mississippi and it's like you post a replacement song and everybody's like, fuck yeah, place bats! <laughs> Yeah, my exposure to them was I got into there was a movie called Single, kind of sitting like a grunge. I've never seen it. And Matt Dillon and mm-hmm. had like I guess Pearl Jam and Soundgarden were in it. Yep. But the soundtrack, I was in love with the soundtrack. Yeah. And there's a couple Paul Westerberg songs on there, and I was like, this guy's fucking awesome. And that kind of threw me back into it. Yep. And and the Screaming Trees. Screaming Trees. Gary Lee Connor was on the show. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Yep. We got to talk about that. Yes, absolutely. That's probably the biggest one I remember of the single soundtrack was Nearly Lost You and just hearing that chugging guitar part at the beginning. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Oh, everything on there was good. That whole soundtrack. That Well, I'm the Soundgarden guy, you know, so you had Chris Conley. Conley. Connor. <laughs> Cornell. <laughs> You're not the Soundgarden guy. <laughs> We're both Soundgarden guys. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, because I was also thinking we had Conley on a while. Yeah, we have. We have had Chris Conley on. But Cornell, he did the the single, and and then uh, Soundgarden was on there, too. But that was good. Pearl Jam. Perfect soundtrack. Perfect soundtrack. C movie. <laughs> Ow, come on. I was okay with the movie. I didn't hate the movie. I love that movie. That's one of my, like, I keep seeing online, everybody's so fucking bored. Say, what's your top 10? What's your top 10? That, like, that would be one of my top 10 movies <laughs> I could watch 
all the fucking time. Yeah. It's, I liked it. I thought it was okay. The, I, mo- the soundtrack is fucking amazing. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know. I'm. I, it's an unpopular opinion, I'm sure. As a matter of fact, Matt's wife berates me every time I mention this, but I'm like, meh. You know, on the movie itself. Like, oh, you mean where the lady had to choose an abortion in her life and it was just ruined everything for her and you fucking pig? And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you fucking asshole. How dare you berate women? And so I'm like, okay. I just didn't. I love the soundtrack. I bought the soundtrack. It fucking probably three times I bought that soundtrack. I think I, I think I went out and purchased it because I lost it, stepped on it, or or whatever, gave it to somebody. I think I bought it like three times in my life. But the movie itself, I don't know. Like like when the fucking yuppies are like in, in the crowd when when watching Alice in Chains play, mm-hmm. and the scene becomes more about the yuppies relationship than it does Alice in Chains being right fucking there. Yeah, that's where it lost me. <laughs> I guess it's like, I'm, I'm kind of uncomfortable. It's like, shut the fuck up and let fucking Lane Staley sing the song right now. Dude, I had, I used to wear the, uh, I had this Citizen Dick t-shirt and I wore it. Nice. Religiously when I was a kid. I wore it all the time. And the last time I had, I saw that shirt. I mean, I wish I should have, I don't know, framed it or something at one point. But like, I remember it is in a hangar. Yeah. I remember I came home. This is probably years since I'd seen the shirt and I found it. It's like, oh, and it's like, you know, coming apart and just like holes and shit. I remember grabbing the hanger and I go to take the shirt and it's basically just falling apart in my hand. <laughs> dust. Hey, uh, oh, no. Yeah, I've lost so many oh shirts. They would be worth something today. Yeah. Yeah, my favorite scene from that movie was just when, like, Dylan uh, says, uh, bless you in the elevator on the sneeze scene. <laughs> oh yeah yeah and that's yeah, enough well, yeah that's enough and i was like okay yeah my scene is the uh if i'm getting into the car with somebody and they unlock the door and it's like you open my car door but <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, good one. i can see that but everybody's got automatic doors now so it's not really the same <laughs> right i hit the button Open my car door button. Yeah. I clicked it twice. Yeah. Don't pull the handle. <laughs> Stop. Stop. <laughs> Stop. I have that fucking argument with my kid every time we get in the car. Fucking don't. Don't just. Dad, it's locked. Pull the handle. <laughs> Put your hands on top of your head. I wasn't pulling it. Yes, you were, because everybody else can get in the car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have to say the soundtrack, that was probably a good as far as, like, I got in, like, Hendrix and all of the classic rock stuff, you know, just from, you know, wanting to learn how to play guitar. But that album in particular, as far as like pushing me in a direction, probably right up there, maybe like number one. It's like you have a different variety of music, different acts uh, in there, and I loved all of it and wanted to play all of it. Yeah. So did you uh, did you tune your bass like standard? Because one thing, well, this is where this is coming from, is I've been trying to practice guitar for like the last three years. And I, I own like 12 guitars just because I keep buying them because they're beautiful. <laughs> I'm not very good at guitar. But once I figured out that like a bass is standard tune, like it's just the top four strings of a guitar. Uh-huh. So did you did that help when you figured that out? Oh, yeah. This is how I figured that out. Mm-hmm. Whenever I started, you know, going back to that band that, you know, asked me to play bass and the guy quit. Mm-hmm. What I didn't know was the idea of tuning the bass and the guitar together. Mm-hmm. And apparently neither did anybody in the band. Uh-huh. So we would just, you know, have practices and stuff. And I would just tune the bass and he would tune his guitar. But we never 
made sure we were in tune together. <laughs> and neither That's of us were tuners, you know? Right. So we were just playing. It was just mm-hmm. like, it was just kind of, we just did it so long. It was just kind of, maybe we just sound like shit, you know? So we just kind of <laughs> got used to it. And then I remember one day, I was like, you know what? I need a new bass. So I go to this pawn shop and buy this cheap little Ibanez. Of course, mm-hmm. it was had already been tuned, you know, at the shop. Right. I didn't touch it. I just bought the damn thing. Went to practice. I'm just like, we're sitting there playing. It's like, dude, we sound fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck, man. What's going on here? And then from there, I kind of, ah. Oh. The first time I tried tuning a bass, like, I need to tune this E to my guitar. So I'm cranking that low end E on a bass, trying to get it up there with, <laughs> you know, but it's like a different, yeah. right? <laughs> That's hilarious. But as far as like rhythm and stuff, like playing bass, like I'm a stickler for bass, especially if it's in my band. Yeah, like I like for recording, I listen to the bass more yeah. than I do anything else. Huh. Well, it's that it's that midway thing, right? It's it's a rhythm instrument, but it still has tone. Mm-hmm. And I mean, drums have tone, I guess, if you tune them. Yeah. But it's still one of those things that it's it's such the carrier. It's the bridge between everything. Uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying. And that's why I, I've always fucking loved bass. It's just, it's, I think I probably got into that in Led Zeppelin when I really started listening, was just that it, it's the bridge between everything. It's, it's the tone and the rhythm. Mm-hmm. And everything, it's like, you know, it's like smashing a piano into a guitar and making the the thing that carries everything. So I've always been a huge fan of thumpers and and bass players. Yeah, your bass is so important. Like when I played with Mike Farron, guys like prototype bass player that I would want. Mm -hmm. Solid, steady, can noodle whenever he knows it's time to do something. Right. We click pretty well. So having something like that, it makes you feel better, you know, about what you're doing. Right. It's easier to concentrate on what you're doing in some ways, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, Shamley now, I mean, that guy's the wild ginger bear. (laughs) Over there and just shreds the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) You okay? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I watched him. You're right. He looks worn out after. He wasn't a long set either. No, no. Like, I told him that from the start. Just like, dude, don't be ready for like some hour fucking set. Like, I usually keep our sets to 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, about average. You want to get your shit out, do it. (laughs) <laughs> from start to finish <laughs> he owns it huh yep he did yeah i really want to catch you guys i really do yeah if you do make it to one of our shows bring one of your 12 guitars and i'll be more than happy to play it <laughs> all right all right what you want <laughs> i got a fucking telling you they're all cheap guitars i buy cheap ones because i know i'm gonna get fucked up and like break the headstock off at some point mm-hmm. so i don't want to be sad like i'm a gretch guy and gretch can be Really, really, really expensive. Yes. But I play the uh, the affordable model, right? Because I know <laughs> right. if I have a guitar, I'm going to get out of that thing. Right. My last, you know, hour on earth. I remember going to like shops and seeing like $2,400 S up on the wall. And just, right. I mean, if I bought that, I'm not going to sit in a corner and polish the fucking. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like I've been playing the same setup with the exact guitar and the exact amp since like 2011 that same combination like mm-hmm. you made a show the amp i'm using is my hot rod and the gretch i play like i've been playing those since 2011 right on and the hot rod got some modifications but not like anything like i specifically wanted it's just been in so many shops and right it had to be overhauled and it sounds 
like perfect, right? And I'd have people asking me, sitting there trying to stir my pedal board, which there's nothing on it. There's like some pedals there, but I mm-hmm. like, dude, it's just natural sound, man. Right. <laughs> That's what rock and roll is supposed to sound like. I think. Yeah. I try. I'm a living room rock star is where I perform. It's like at my computer desk. So. <laughs> yeah, that's where we all start. <laughs> uh, yeah. He hasn't advanced to groupies yet. He's still got his flashlight. <laughs> yeah, my flashlight. the flashlight. <laughs> he puts a little wig on it, sets it in a corner. It's like. We bring it back around. I don't, I don't even remember what the flashlight conversation was. I was oh, it had to do with advertisement, right? That was going to be our sponsor. Flashlight and my pillow. Yeah, you yeah. guys are talking about sponsors. When Joe Rogan got started, that was his thing. My flashlight. My flashlight. Oh, sorry. I'm start. I'm now. I'm going military in my head. This is my flashlight. There are many like it, but this one is mine. Parliament. Parliament Funkadelic. <laughs> one of my favorites. George Clinton might be looking for a hook right now. I think I remember last time you telling us that you got your guitar via a friend wanted you to join the band. Yeah. It was like your bribe. Yeah, I was I was living in Phoenix and my best friend Dallas, he goes by St. Dallas Tattoos. He's in Dallas, Texas. Okay. The band was St. Dallas and the Sinners and they kind of started doing like a you know, weekly night kind of <sighs> rockabilly kind of thing and I guess they were wanting to do some stuff and wanted me to play guitar and it's like dude you gotta come home be in my band blah 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 and I was kind of half-assed kidding I was like give me a grudge I'll come home and next thing you know he's fucking sending me a picture yeah. of the fucking that, that <laughs> guitar that I play and they're holding it it's like god damn <laughs> it's a pretty one this is at a point too where I was pretty much trying to move on from the dream you know it was fun when you know while I tried but that's all <laughs> Do you know who did the uh, do you know who did the customization on it with the pinstriping and stuff? It's a pretty guitar, man. Uh, I can't remember the kid's name. That was a drunk decision at Greaserama, mm-hmm. maybe 2013, I think. 13, 14. Okay. Uh, played there and then hanging out, just hammering them back and walking around. This guy's doing yeah pinstriping <laughs> on basically anything. There you go. That's what happened. I woke up the next day and. It's sitting there across from me in the bedroom, and I'm looking at it. First try job on it. It's like, what the fuck did I do to my guitar? Fuck, that looks stupid. I was like, God, it took me probably a week to be okay with it. Really? I fuck. I fucking love it the first time I saw it, man. <laughs> no, I think it looks badass. Yeah, it took me a while because I had the guitar for so long at that point. Oh, I, I see. Like, uh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like getting used to a new haircut. Like your old lady got a new tramp stamp. <laughs> <laughs> she hates it. I love I it. I love it. Yep. <laughs> she loves right. it. And you're like, who's Bob? <laughs> it's going to take me a while. Let's take a minute. <laughs> but no, I thought it was cool first time I saw it. Yeah, but I'm used to it now. There's you can see where it's kind of worn off from my arm and some spots too where I didn't wash the thing, obviously. I was just I handed it to him, so a lot of it is kind of pinstriped over sweaty dirt. Yeah. Deal, so. <laughs> but it looks cool. It's deteriorating nicely. Right. Right. That's punk rock. That's how it goes. <laughs> Just like your old lady would with the tramp stamp. <laughs> yeah, we were about to uh, go to the studio to start getting some new stuff ready to work on. Oh, right on. But that hasn't happened. Yeah, that's been kind of a difficult thing. We've been talking to some people and some 
band's like, so what do you have coming up next? And they're like, uh, I don't know. We're living our life moment to fucking moment. It's like, yeah, I guess we are too. So we don't typically wrap up with that. And that's hard. I hate that because that used to be so fun at the end of our shows, just being like, hey, what's coming up? We got a show at blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Now it's like, I'm living in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, we have a lot of pending dates. <laughs> right. Tomorrow I'm making beef broccoli and I don't know. it's still cool to get background guys though and hopefully we can turn people on to some new listens and get you guys out there and yeah you got a band camp yeah we've got our band camp and all our music is free on there pretty much anything we put out can download it we're not we take donations but yeah our stuff's free on band camp got a couple videos on youtube Mm -hmm. facebook and you can get a hold of the band that way or We've got a couple EPs on there. I've been telling people to check you out. You guys, I think I think people will be surprised at how good Arson Class is if they'll just get on there, check you guys out. Definitely worth listening to. Yeah, I hope so. And you can absolutely, which I did today, tell your Google Home or tell your Alexa to, to play some uh, Arson Class, and it will. And it'll take you down a rabbit hole for a while, and it's, it's really good shit. Guys, go to their fucking band camp, buy some stuff. Everybody should help, you know, musicians out time yeah we all need to help each other out but it's good fucking music man for sure or you're seeing everybody needs it right now yeah right and go see chris and his guitar yes. look at the video for uh yeah. brand new city pretty good yeah check that out <laughs> don't be too humble man it's a beautiful guitar you guys make some beautiful music oh that's, that's my girl yep <laughs> even though she got that tattoo without you knowing <laughs> but you know <laughs> Well, let's tramp stamp. Yeah. Still cool. Man, thanks for coming on tonight. We really appreciate it. We don't want to take up much of your time. We had a good time. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, man. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Undetermined the Podcast. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Keep listening. Bye-bye. Woo-hoo. Bye. Bye.